A reading from Luke. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Each year I was in divinity school. I shared a meal that became a ritual of sorts with several friends and classmates. On the evening of the last spring final exam, we piled into the minivan of David and Mary Alex and made a pilgrimage to Lenny's Seafood in Brantford, Connecticut. Our pilgrimage began that first year with only half a dozen friends, but grew to several picnic tables worth of participants by the time I graduated. It was not what I would call a fancy establishment, Picnic tables on the deck and beers served out of a cafeteria pitcher, but they boasted some of the best seafood the Connecticut coast had to offer. It was definitely beyond the means of our daily graduate school budget. For this, and for many other reasons, it became a highly anticipated and much celebrated meal to mark a transition from one chapter to the next. All these years later, I cannot tell you exactly what we ate, what we talked about, or why we laughed so hard. I can tell you exactly where we sat each of the three years and who sat next to whom. The other thing I will take with me as long as I live is the lingering smell of fish that stayed with me for weeks after the fact. Even after a good wash, that odor somehow lingered. I know it was not simply a figment of my imagination because it always solicited comments from my displeased roommate. The smell of fried fish brings to life all over again those meals on the patio in Brantford. It is moments like these that elicit the smell or taste of a shared experience that call our attention to the reality of resurrection. It is moments like these that connect us to the disciples who shared broiled fish with the resurrected Jesus. I wonder if they were ever 
able to eat fish again and not think of that moment with the risen Lord. The exchange we have in today's gospel story from Luke is grounded in the unmistakable reality of human sensibilities. There is no way to assume what Luke was writing about was simply the disciples' wishful thinking or denial of Jesus' death. The resurrected Jesus is unquestionably a physical presence in their midst. It is his very physical presence that issues an invitation for us to live into the reality of resurrection. Having clarity about the importance of this particular story is really, really important. It is the definitive declaration that resurrection is real. Oftentimes we confuse what is real and resurrection. After all, keeping separate that which is verifiable with science, logic, or our own eyes makes things less confusing and Christianity more palatable for those who find this part of the story a bit outrageous. But in the resurrected Jesus, we are confronted with the fact that mystery and physical realities can coexist. In the resurrected Jesus, the essence of mystery is in fact given a texture, a taste, and a smell. This is the story about the difference between that which we think is real and that which we know to be real. I don't think I'm alone when I say this past year has forced a great deal of reflection on this concept of reality. It is both human nature and more particularly an American habit to pride ourselves on possessing knowledge. We fancy ourselves as experts of risk management, or at least we did. We tirelessly navigate social, racial, and class expectations with the illusion that we can control our place in the world, or at least we did. In the upheaval of the pandemic, so much of that has been stripped away. Our comfortable grip on, a, on reliable knowledge has been dislodged, and it is no longer easy to assume we know who or what is safe. There is some serious reorienting happening in all facets of life. Perhaps we are more well-positioned than ever to seriously consider that which we think is real and that which we know to be real. It seems to me humility is an important piece of this puzzle. When Jesus reappears to the disciples, they think that it would be completely irrational to assume he is real and jump to the conclusion that they must collectively be experiencing a ghost. That seems more logical than other possibilities. Yet the texture of Jesus's hands, his side and his face force another reality. The taste and smell of the fish could not be denied. Simple, ordinary details upended that which they thought was real from that which they experienced to be real. It must have been incredibly humbling, especially for those who considered themselves ahead of the curve when it came to knowing things. This passage from Luke brings to the surface more than, the than just the challenge presented by the resurrection. It shines a spotlight on the essence of our faith, what we know, what we believe, 
and how the two are ultimately connected. A detail that's often overlooked is Jesus's commissioning of the remaining disciples. Remember, there's only 11 of them left. After being betrayed and abandoned, Jesus's first words to them are, peace be with you. He not only preaches, but practices forgiveness and then empowers them to deliver repentance and that very same forgiveness. But here's where it gets truly unimaginable. There to begin with Jerusalem, which is the heart of the empire that has just taken away Jesus's life. And then they, were con- they are to continue to all the nations, all of them. <laughs> It's an outrageous proposition to begin with, but especially without the means of modern communication or travel. It's outrageous. And yet, we have inherited Jesus' story because we have inherited their mission all these years and miles later. I wonder what sounds more unbelievable to you, that Jesus' body was resurrected or that 11, 11 individuals actually carried out this mission that Jesus gave them. Perhaps we ought to take a serious look at our insistence upon knowing things in a particular way, which, which may limit our ability to know things in a real way. Let me say that again. Perhaps we ought to take a serious look at our insistence upon knowing things in a particular way, which may limit our ability to know things in a real way. Our earthly experience is unquestionably bound to our bodily reality. From the messy miracle of birth to the ultimate deterioration of our fleshly strength, none of it happens without our embodied experience. God's incarnation in the person of Jesus connects any possible divide between the embodied and the ethereal. Jesus comes among us in the flesh and endures the ordinariness of humanity. Resurrection would be something altogether different if it was not an embodied experience. Resurrection is the essence of an experience we can only know to be true because of our bodies. In this season of resurrection, we are invited once again to celebrate not just the miracle that is resurrection, but the ways in which resurrection is made real. Amen.